Hello, you're listening to Yarns from the Plain, a podcast for knitters, crocheters, and anyone who loves to play with yarn. Hello and welcome to episode 15. This week I'm not going to stick to my loose format um, that I often use and I'm going to just focus on the recent UK knit camp which I attended last week in Stirling. I had an absolute blast and uh, I hope to share some of my moments from that week with you. Before I do that though, I'd just like to apologise for last time's show. Somehow I managed to stretch a little piece of audio that I put in between um, my voice recorder pieces where I was describing the colours of cows, just for a bit of background information, and their bottoms, just general shape of. It does sound a bit strange and I am very sorry, but I am glad that I've managed to provide so much hilarity in my strangeness. Anyway, do apologise for that. Uh, I'm not even going to attempt to go back and try and correct it because it's just too much faff. That little gremlin is going to have to stay. Now, the last episode went out just before I went away, but I'd actually recorded it on the Friday. And over the weekend, um, a number of things began to happen, which caused a, a great deal of stress and fret on the Ravelry boards um, and just sort of on the internet in general. Um, and you may well be aware uh, of some of these. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time talking about them. Um, but there were some organisational problems that led to uh, visa problems for non-EU tutors and guest speakers, um, which led, obviously, to a lot of anguish um, from the part of um, those speakers and tutors who were refused entry to the UK, and also to the people who were attending their workshops and classes because obviously there was a a moment where no one was really sure what was going on. Um, my husband was quite worried and was um, not even sure that I should go. I worked on the basis that um, I was going. <laughs> if I went and the classes didn't happen I'd get a refund. If I didn't go and the classes didn't happen then I wouldn't get a refund because I hadn't gone. Um, and my accommodation was booked and the University of Stirling is a lovely location and Stirling is a lovely location and what was the worst that could happen? I would have to go and sit in a beautiful location with friendly people and knit and spin for a week. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? Had to think about that. Um, no, I mean, it's I'm, I'm making light of a situation that, although it didn't cause me any... Um, particular concern did cause some people an awful lot of concern and the communication to some people who were due to attend classes I don't think was as it could have been which is a, a really bad shame. If you were at knit camp um, then there were opportunities to find out what was going on um, through meetings and, and messages being posted up but there were people who were due to travel up for certain days and were only coming for one day and they didn't know whether their classes were on or not. So there were obvious communication problems there. All those organisational problems notwithstanding though, 
um, the people who arrived at Knit Camp at the beginning of the week on the, the Monday, I think very much arrived on the whole with the determination that they were going to have fun, whatever happened. And I have to say that's precisely what happened to me. Um, those of you who have been listening for the last few episodes will know that all of the classes that I'd originally booked um, had had changes made to them. Either the class itself was cancelled entirely or the tutor was replaced. So my changes in terms of the organisational structure had happened before I went. Um, none of the changes that happened in the weekend preceding um, the camp had a direct effect on me. Um, and there was a sort of a little bit of an element, I think, of, you know, sort of the Dunkirk spirit. We were all going to go out and we were going to go and we were jolly well going to have a good time, um, those of us who went. Um, and I think, on the whole, the vast majority of us did. Um, the first thing on the Monday was, there were no classes on the Monday, um, it was just social events, and I was signed up to go to the Clapo Tea Party. Do you remember I was uh, knitting the Clapo Tea? to get me into the clapper tea party. Well, I went, um, didn't wear the dress that I bought for my friend's wedding that didn't go. Um, I wore a black and white and grey one with some white linen pants, so that was, you know, ooh, look, looking vaguely girly. That's quite, you know, nice. but it was very close in Scotland. So having a, you know, clapper tea made from Manos del Uruguay silk blend, which is kind of a DK worsted type weight, it was draped over my shoulder for a bit and then after a while it was just sort of like curled up and sort of popped in the bag it was it was getting really a bit warm um but that was in the student union bar which uh, sounds like it's going to be brilliant um i think because of the nature of the university being a campus university and certain parts of it only being available for summer school but not used for general use um obviously you have to hire out the student bar so it looked to me as if the taps to all of the draft beers had been turned off at the end of term and weren't being turned on. And the layout of the bar actually meant that it was quite difficult to have a large group of people and see everybody. It was sort of, it had a bit of an L shape. Well, a wonky L shape. If you imagine, um, I suppose, the hands of a clock at four o'clock and that angle, that's about a 120 degree angle, isn't it? Between um, the long hand at, at 12 and the short hand at four. Um, that was kind of the shape, if you imagine the, the shape um, of those, that was kind of the shape of the bar, with some sort of supporting columns. So that meant that you couldn't actually see everybody very clearly, but um, found some lovely people to have a chat with. And uh, there was a yarn swap. Now, I say yarn swap, my mind thinks that you take a nice yarn, wrapped up, you leave it, and then you, you take someone else's. And I hadn't really followed the instructions on the Ravelry board about the yarn swap, and woe betide me, because um, it was being run by a lovely lady called Lydia, who was um, very much feeling that when you came, when your number was called out to go and choose, you could either choose from the table, or you could steal the yarn that somebody else had chosen. Now, this may well work really, really well in certain social situations in America. With a lot of um, British and Europeans, uh, we just didn't understand it. We, we were sort of, you know, Lydia was encouraging us to have a look at anybody else's yarn to steal, and we were all being terribly polite and going, but but no, that, she's chosen that one, and that's hers. I'll choose one from the table. Um, but there we are. Never mind. I um, put in one of those ab lovely abstract cat um yarns that I bought the other month um, that actually when I looked at them were both very similar green and purple um, 
and the bag that I chose had um, some yarn I can use for blanket squares and it was from a Canadian so it had some uh, a lovely little Canadian um, necklace with a maple leaf on it and um, some ground coffee at the bottom so I'm going to have to get the old cafetiere out and make my ground coffee ha <laughs> ha lovely um, there was a note attached with um, the ladies ravelry name and I've mislead it which is a bit of a problem so because I can't say thank you for it but um, it was a nice little parcel nicely done up in a bag and I'm a bit of a sucker for lovely bags um, there was a beautiful silver star shaped box on the table and I was desperate to pick that up but you know my mum's my training of you know you never choose the nicest thing on the table you always leave that for somebody else kicked in so I sort of chose the second nicest looking bag um, I have to say the star was wonderful I saw I saw it open later on and it had um, some knitting goddess yarn in it oh it was beautiful anyway so that was a clappity party uh, that evening I then went into Stelling for a meal with um, a couple of the lovely ladies that I met there. Tuesday was the start of classes proper. So for me, that was um, a spinning on a wheel class with John Dunn from Easy Knits. Well, John is an absolute sweetie. And um, I've met him before and I interviewed him, if you remember. I, I grabbed a little um, interview with him at Wonderwall Wales, when at that point he was only going to be doing some courses at the weekend. He didn't, I don't think he... Um, was booked on for courses in the week but he was a replacement tutor and I have to say he stepped in wonderfully um, to our class and was just an absolute joy um, to spend the day with very funny and the ladies that were in the class were lovely um, I found out that I I think I pull too hard on the fibre when I'm feeding it into the wheel so I I'm sort of strangling all the air out of it so I don't make a very lofty yarn um, but we had a lot of laughs in that class and it was really, really nice. And John gave us at the end of it a um, choice of any of his braids um, that we could take away to carry on working on, having let us, given us little goodie bags with samples of all different types of fibre. I um, I think I may have taught some people some new words when I was trying to spin the uh, bamboo. Here's, here's a trick, you know, hint for someone who's a new spinner probably not a good idea to try and spin 100% bamboo but you know I'm a cussed individual if someone says to me it's quite hard I'm sitting there going shall I try the easy stuff or shall I go for the hard stuff oh let's go for the hard stuff yes I spot the idiot never mind um so uh, anyway at the end of the day we were allowed to choose a braid and I chose a lovely grey merino um that he's then dyed and it's called I think it's called dusk and it's got blues and pinks and purples over dyed on the grey um, but with areas of grey still showing and it's absolutely beautiful and I'm spinning it up at the moment and it's oh it's so tweedy and lovely and it's coming out at the moment my singles are coming out at 29 wraps per inch um, which if I kind of knew a bit more about the technical side of spinning might be able to give me an indication of uh, what you know I'll be able to Navajo apply that into but you know I'm learning as I go along. Really, I'll just keep more notes, all night. Um, but it's beautiful. I've nearly spun it all up, and it is just all tweedy. I want to Navajo play it, and I'm desperate to make a pair of toe-up socks from it. Um, I have no idea whether it's appropriate for socks. I'm 100% merino. Probably not. Um, but I could. I think there's probably enough because there's 100 grams of fibre. So depending on the thickness, I could actually double up the toes and heels, couldn't I, to make them a bit more strong? Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, Tuesday evening was the pub quiz, which um, was 
and interesting I, I had a, um, a yarns for the playing team hello Val hello Marty um, who they, they were going to join the team beforehand and then we, we found some other people from the classes that we'd attended and it was just it, it was very very funny although the reason it may have been very very funny was because again most of us were British in the team not all of us but most of us were British in the team and we found the over exuberance of the American question master um, bit of a cultural clash shall we say so um, but looking back on it now it was very funny but at the time you know when you're sitting there thinking please calm down you're lovely but we can't hear the question because you're yee-hawing and awesome sourcing and it's you know but we did terribly badly I'd been mugging up on the sheep um, you know from going to Tame Show didn't help none of the breeds that I saw at Tame Show did I see on the sheet and although we recognised some as some downed sheep and some as some long wools we didn't get the right side at all so we were just a bit hopeless really um, but never mind um, it does. It did help I think the, the winning team um, I was talking to some of them later on and it turned out that one of the reasons they'd won was there was a question that said how many different things could you knit with and we were told to be inventive uh, and they came up with 230 and since you got a point for each um, you know they did very well we just didn't think that you you know it didn't occur to us that you could knit with uh, Eiffel Tower models you know and such things like that we were just sticking with very boring things like rolling pins and chopsticks and toothpicks but there we are never mind Wednesday morning was a total contrast to John's class John's class was very relaxed and there was lots and lots of chatting going on now that doesn't mean that the class wasn't relaxed because it was a brilliant class but we needed to pay a bit more attention. I went to Lucy Neatby's double knitting class. Now, double knitting—I've never really—I've tr never tried it at all, and it wasn't something I'd necessarily thought I would try. But when my class on the Wednesday morning got cancelled, I looked and thought, "Well, okay, it might be quite interesting, just simply because it's Lucy Neatby." Um, and it was—it was brilliant. Double knitting is a method where you end up knitting two layers of fabric at once so that you have effectively a fully reversible fabric and if you use two colours uh, I was using brown and pink you end up with a brown on one side and a pink on the other and with a stocking stitch side out if you wish on both sides uh, did require quite a bit of concentration um, I made the startling sort of realization that it wasn't even, you know, I I couldn't. It wasn't even that I couldn't talk and double knit. I couldn't actually listen to other people and double knit. Um, it did require quite a lot of concentration. But one of the um, things that she showed us within that it was only a three-hour class was how to use the double knitting technique to make a pocket as you go, so that there is no seaming at all in the pocket. And it's just completely integral to the fabric, which is absolute blows my mind, and I love it. I absolutely love it. If I just cast on a few extra um, stitches in that little piece, that little tube that I was knitting on with the pocket, would have been just the right size to slide over um, your phone and make a little phone with a little pocket for the earphones. How <laughs> how nerdy is that? Um, but really, really fascinating. So I want to do some more. And she's got she was showing us her bubbles scarf which is based on double knit and she's used county um, wool which of course I've got 
a lot of underneath the bed. Um, and it just looks fabulous. And she used the rainbow on one side, and I think she's used the naturals on the other. And where the bubbles are in the scarf, she's sort of stuffed them with fleece. So they've got a, a 3D texture. So there's a knit along in September for that. And I am really, really tempted to join in with that because I just it's just such a lovely piece of art, really. Uh, and I want to have a go at it. Wednesday afternoon, um, I had grand plans before I'd done the double knitting that, you know, Sterling's only... 40 minute an hour from Edinburgh and the Edinburgh festival's on I thought maybe I could go spend the afternoon in Edinburgh because I've never I've driven through Edinburgh but I've never um gone to Edinburgh um you know maybe I could catch a show in the evening nah a morning full of double knitting with Lucy plus the combination of sleeping on a not very comfortable bed with very 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 thin pillows that you know one pillow that's about the thickness of a Jacob's cream cracker um meant that I was just useless um, and I actually sat down with, um, ended up having sort of lunch and then going for coffee with Anne Kingston, who's a designer, um, the designer of the UK Knit Camp vest, actually, which um, I'll talk more of because I've got an interview with her. So I'll line that up for later in the show. Um, and Jane Gilbraith, uh, I think it's Gilbraith, um, who's another designer who's based in, I think she, oh, I've forgotten, is she based in Edinburgh or Glasgow? can't remember. Anyway, she's um, a Rowan consultant and she had been doing a beaded knits um, session that morning. So it was really interesting to just chat to them because they were talking a lot about the design process because uh, Jane's been, has had work published in books, whereas Anne's been mainly self-published, but also is beginning to go into print media through magazines. So it was really interesting sort of just listening to, to them um, talk about the designing process. And uh, really, I, I do apologise for the fact that I should have been out there with the voice recorder more, um, but I wasn't, mainly because I was out having so much fun, I didn't want to whip the voice recorder out and make everyone feel uncomfortable. Um, I was just having too much of a good time. <laughs> it was just, like, fabulous. Wednesday night, um, I went along to the Stitch and Bitch in the Studio Union Bar, which was with Debbie Stoller. Now... We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know whether she was doing a talk, whether she was doing um, a book signing or what. Turned out that she had she had been one of the people that had been refused entry to the UK at the weekend. So she'd gone to Amsterdam and had only just come back in from Amsterdam that day. Um, and so what she was doing, she was actually just going around from table to table and sitting and coming and chatting with people at tables with her knitting. Um, and I think she... she I thought she looked a little bit shell-shocked, I think. But I think, actually, she's really, really shy. And this is what's really interesting about doing something like this on a residential basis. The tutors are having their breakfast and their lunch and their dinner with you at the same time in the canteens, in the, the catering within the, the student union building. Um, and it's very intense, but it does allow you to sort of get rid of or get past this sort of fangirl moment that you know sort of I, I can have um, and I'm sure other people do and realize that actually these people are exactly the same as us and they're just as shy walking into a room full of people where they they don't really don't know anybody um, as I am I, I mean I I found it really difficult on the Monday I heard people talking outside my room went out to go and speak to them but they were talking and just my nerve failed me and I went straight back in my room again. Um, 
you know, panic sort of takes a bit of a, a while to kind of break down that natural reserve. And as I get older, I, I find it, it actually gets harder and harder rather than it gets easier and easier, but never mind. Uh, anyway, I, I got the feeling that perhaps poor Debbie Stoller looked a bit sort of shell-shocked and maybe a bit overwhelmed by um, the whole experience. I could be completely wrong, and maybe she was just tired. But um, she was lovely, and she came along, and she had with her um, a kind of, I think, a tech-edited version of the book that's due out later this year um, called Stitch and Bitch Superstar Knitting. So she was letting people have a flick through that. So there's some interesting patterns in there. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you anything about them, but there are some interesting, nice-looking things in there. Um, but the idea is she's taking it as the book after Stitch and Bitch. So Stitch and Bitch taught you the basics, um, and this one will then take you into lots of other techniques and giving you an indication of lots of other techniques, and then gives you lots of projects that use those different techniques. And certainly for some of the projects I saw, it referenced you back to which bit of the book you needed to look at for your Turkish cast on, for example. So it was really interesting to see that, just simply because I've never seen a book at that point in the printing process, because um, it, does, it doesn't look like the finished article. I mean, the pages are there, but there's lots of white space around it where there are editorial notes, um, and it's bound um, with a plastic cover and um, just a, um, a fabric binding, a bit like a, a thesis might be bound. Um, or a dissertation, possibly maybe your thesis might be better about than that if you're doing a PhD. I don't know. I didn't. Never mind. Um, but that was that was really interesting. So what was Thursday? That brings us to Thursday. Thursday um, was a full day lace design course. Now that was the one that was supposed to be with Miriam Felton and the replacement tutor was Kate Tetlow, who was actually involved in the organisation of um, the knit camp. I think she teaches classes at Yarn Gathering, um, Joe Wills Watson's store in Coventry, and she was absolutely lovely. She spent a lot of time just sort of talking us through um, some very basic things that just never occurred to me before. I mean, obviously, I'd have sat down and thought, you know, yes, you sit there and plot things out on graph paper, but actually just choosing a motif and then copying it onto tracing paper and then moving it around your graph paper to see how it fits together is when you look back at it, a blindingly obvious thing to do, um, but I, it never occurred to me. So that was really, really interesting. We spent a lot of time having got a motif about um, drawing around it with a big space and balancing it so that we had the same number of increases as decreases so that we'd have a straight piece of stitching and then actually identifying the pattern repeat within that. Now, of course, brain for Britain here. <laughs> when I then came to knit the swatch, decided to ignore the bit either side of the pattern repeat. You know, the bit that will help you balance the knitting so that you end up with the right number of stitches all the time. You know, we'd spent half an hour sitting there checking out um, increases and decreases, and if there wasn't a matching increase or a matching decrease, we'd removed it. And Oh, no. Honestly, what a dope. Absolute dope. I just didn't the pattern repeat, and of course it was just looking all wrong. And it was like, I don't know what's going on. Now, I teach. So I'm pretty good at looking at stuff upside down and helping kids sort out their work. I also know that if it's really, really bad, sometimes you have to stop looking at the children's work upside down and being face-to-face -face with them and you have to go around and you have to sit next to them 
I knew I'd made a big mistake when Kate actually came round the side and sat next to me to have a look. And I'm like, oh dear. Anyway, she she then sort of showed what I'd done, and it was like, oh, you idiot. Of course. Um, so I then sorted that out and, and re-swatched it. I haven't quite finished my swatch, but I've seen enough to see how it works. Um, I then spent a little bit of time seeing if I could take the same motif and starting to plot it out on a triangular shawl. So I've got that. Um, I might fill in some little motifs somewhere. Um, and I'd need to work out what I would do for edging that shawl. But it was a really interesting process. Again, though, quite intense. Um, you know, whew, a bit of a bit of a woof after that, you know, desperately needed a bit of a break. Um, that evening, I went on a trip to Loch Katrine. Now, Loch Katrine is beautiful. It's in the Trossachs, and it's just gorgeous. It's um, a reservoir that uh, provides all the drinking water for Glasgow. Um, but it is just beautiful, and you can take trips out on it. And um, if you're familiar with the work of Walter Scott at all, which I am not, um, then he's got a, a poem called The Lady of the Lake. And that's drawing on Loch Katrin, um, although because it's now been dammed to make it into a reservoir, it is higher than it was when Walter Scott used to walk. So unfortunately, the paths he used to walk by the banks of Loch Katrin um, are now under the water. Um, but it is still just a, a totally magnificent place. So we split into two when we arrived, this coach full of knit campers, and uh, half of us went on the lock whilst the other half had their barbecue dinner and then we swapped over. I went on the lock first. Um, I actually managed a bit of spindle spinning in a breeze on top of the boat. Quite impressed. Didn't blow away. Um, the scenery was gorgeous. The commentary by the captain was a laugh. The company was wonderful because I'd um, sat with Val. It was just lovely, lovely company. Um, really enjoyed the whole evening. We came off the lock straight into the dreaded midgy. Now, if you've never been to Scotland, you may never have heard of this wee timorous beastie. Sorry, Rabbi Burns, but, you know, it's more a wee timorous beastie than a mouse, I swear. Um, a midge is a very small flying insect, and I mean, they're really small. They are tiny. But... If you are unlucky enough to be the kind of person that is attractive to a midgey, the moment you walk into a place where there is water, you are eaten alive. And it is just, it does feel like you're being eaten alive. Um, I had been reading the RAV forums beforehand and I had been taking my vitamin B1 tablets, like there's no tomorrow, eating my Marmite on toast, because that's also got lots of vitamin one, B1. Apparently, the, uh, you know, the, the feeling is if you're really loaded up with these systems, loaded up with vitamin B1, then you can't be midge dinner. Anyway, the moment I realised I was stood in a queue for the food and there was midges around, I whipped out my um, repellent spray and squirted all existing um, flesh, which is only really my hands and my face. But I did feel still that I was, I felt like I was being nibbled. I wasn't. Um, it was just a tickling sensation, which I, I'm sure half of it is psychosomatic. It's just actually, you know, you see the midges and, you know, you're just convinced that you're going to get munched. Um, so, you know, had our barbecue dinner. Very, very nice. Lovely. 
There was a few midges inside the restaurant. Val couldn't see them, but, you know, I could. But then I thought maybe it's all in my head, and maybe I'm just, you know, got these little tickles, and ordinarily it would be a tickle, and I would ignore it, but because I know there's midges outside, I think there's a midge here, and I'm getting munched. Um, anyway, we came out to get onto the coach, and it has to be one of the funniest things I have seen in a long, long time. The poor coach driver was trying to keep the door shut, but every time he opened the door for some people to get on the coach, another thousand midges would come on with them. The air was thick with them. As you stood at the front of the coach and looked down, all you could see was just air thick full of midges. It was just horrible. I was one of the last to get on the coach, so um, I didn't sit with Val. I sat right at the back. And just I could just see this sea of midges looking down the coach. But what also happened was that people were seeing them and we're trying to squash them by clapping. You know, imagine you're clapping in front of your face like that. Yeah? Only trouble is, everybody was doing it. And everybody was doing it, not just in one place, but all around their face. So from the back, it looked like 60 mad women doing the flamenco sat down. And it sounded like a music lesson on rhythm with young children because none of us were in time the more I looked at it the more I got the giggles and I just thought it was just ridiculous and Liz and I um, who was also on the trip but I didn't sit with her we were actually out later on the week um, for Woolly Wormhead and, uh, and um, Carol Feller and um, some other people that we were having dinner with on Saturday evening and it was just the pair of us were crying with laughter nearly because it was just so funny we, we kind of termed it the Trossack jig really um, but just imagine 60 women sat down all in one direction clapping manically <laughs> out of time like a mad flamenco really has to be one of the funniest things I've seen in a long long time Friday morning um, I took a, what was originally going to be the photography class with Franklin Habit, it turned into a styling your knits and photography class with Mary Jane Muckleston, who, um, was the stylist on Interweave Knits when Pam Allen was the editor. Now, it didn't perhaps have as much technical stuff on camera use as it might have done with Franklin, um, but it has inspired me to do two things. First of all, it's inspired me to go and find my instruction booklet and play around with my digi little digital camera because I already found out that you can alter the exposure on it, which I didn't realise. Um, secondly, it's inspired me to go and see if I can find a evening course about photography and just find out more, because I was just, it was absolutely fascinating. But we did a lot of um, looking at her pictures, discussing composition rules, um, looking at what worked, what made certain photos work, what didn't. Having in mind what you want your photo to do. Is it a long, thin one that's going on a Moo business card? Is it the banner along the front of, um, along the top of a website? Is it being used for your avatar image? Is it being used for an Etsy shop to show your yards? Uh, and to think about things like that. 
and that would actually then make you think about the composition of your of your photograph. And after we'd done some um, theory work and looked at some examples and then looked at how to make a light box, we then went outside um, with our cameras because it was an overcast day, so it was, you know, reasonably good levels of light and we just played around um, and I took lots of different photos of some hand spun yarn because um, I, I applied those bats, do you remember the bats from um, Ever Improving Me, the Muppet ones? I applied them on Monday night manically in my room. Um, so I took those out and I was um, playing with those and styling those. So um, I was really pleased to, uh, with the effect that I, I got with those, um, just with knowing a little bit about tinkering with my camera. Um, I'd like to say thank you to the lovely Philomena from Portugal who sat patiently um, trying to look casual on a gravelly surface and must have wrecked her hand whilst we all sort of asked her to look up a bit, down a bit, left a bit, right a bit, turn this way, look over your shoulder, look this way, um, do that, just mind down a little bit, can you just move this way, can I just pull your cardigan this way and tidy it up? So it was really, really interesting. Um, it was a really lovely morning. And then in the afternoon, um, took part in the treasure hunt, but didn't finish it all the way um, because I had arranged to meet up with um, Anne Kingston to do an interview and then went to the marketplace. Now, the marketplace was split over two rooms, which were actually on two slightly different levels, not fully up on another floor, but sort of on a mezzanine level. Um, so I think that possibly some vendors maybe didn't get as much business as, as the others, I don't know. But um, I discovered Freyalyn's fibres. <gasps> now you know you've bought too much fibre. When when Freyalyn actually says, no, you have to stop now. <laughs> you know, I think it was after my third transaction. bought some beautiful things from her. Um, I bought some Clune fleece. I've never spun with that. So she said it spins really easily. Uh, I bought some Tees Water locks. So they're all curly in all different colours. So I just want to play about with those. Um, I bought some lovely 100% uh, blue face leather, which I then ripped off a strip off and um, taught somebody how to spindle spin on. Um, so that was really nice. Um, and I bought some 80% um, wool, 20% nylon, which is in black, but the nylon's white within it, um, for specifically to try spinning up for socks. So it's absolutely lovely. So once I kind of gorged myself on the marketplace, um, I then caught up with Anne Kingston and interviewed her just a little bit about the Nick Camp vest and designing. I'm just nipped out from the marketplace now and uh, I've managed to grab Anne Kingstone who is the designer of the Knit Camp Vest, the official Knit Camp Vest of which I've now seen two brilliant examples around the marketplace in the camp. Um, so hello Anne. Hello Nick. Um, Anne and I have actually been having coffee off and on throughout the week and having a, a lovely time talking. Um, obviously the Knit Camp Vest has been promoted within um, the organisation of Knit Camp in the yes. run up to it. Yes. But actually I first became aware of you when a whole flurry of my Ravelry friends favourited um, your other fair isle design. Is it Lissowin? Yes, Lissowin. Oh, yes. Now I'm really interested in the names. I was having a look at a lot of your designs. What, your names seem very much rooted in um, story and... Yes. Um, I, I sat there looking, you've got a, um, a pattern for some slippers, and I was determined not to Google until I remembered what Care Caravelle was. <laughs> it's, 
Is it from Narnia? Yes. Excellent. Well it's done. It's the castle in Narnia. Yes. Wonderful. So why the why these wonderful names? Just that I love English literature. Um, I'm an avid reader. I should say I used to be an avid reader because now I spend so much time knitting and designing. I got don't create the time to read that I used to create and I am an absolute lover of British literature. I haven't yet got any of them out but I, ha I have a whole, no I've got one out, I have a whole stack of designs coming up that are based on Jane Austen's novels as well. So yeah I just have these like nods to British literature in the way that there's some inspiration from there in, in my designs and also there's just some like, you know, I like to name things for things of British literature that, that seem appropriate. Yes. Wonderful. Now, I've done, um, within the last month I've done a woolly wormhead hat design course and this week I've done a lace design course. So uh -huh. I'm really interested. How did you get into not just designing, because I can see how lots of people would design for their own pleasure because yes. they want something that's unique. But what made you then think, right, okay, I'm going to pursue this and put it out there and, and really go for setting up my Ravelry store? It was, it really happened as Ravelry happened because, uh, well, the people, Jess and Casey created Ravelry and it's a wonderful gift to knitters and I know anyone that's on Ravelry that's listening will know that this has really um, been very creative for the knitting community. It's been very creative on a social level. I think it's also um, inspired people that otherwise weren't knitting very much. They've found that they've had an explosion in the amount that they've been producing. And also it's been fantastic for designers because they set it up that people could post their patterns in Ravelry. So I uh, posted my first pattern, uh, Dermstrang Socks. A, a fair Isle sock design and they were my first published pattern harry potter reference uh, yes indeed <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm do you know i'm feeling really pleased well with done there <laughs> i think we must read very similar books yes <laughs> I, i'm a real harry potter fan as well because um it, it, through my eldest son um who was a big harry potter fan and it was something that we could relate about and so we used to enthuse about harry potter together so right yeah so dermstrang socks they're now they're knee-high feral socks and um when i first created the pattern i thought well shall i publish this for free or shall i sell it and there was just something in me that thought that i would feel like it would place a greater value on the design for me. It felt congruent, right, to actually play, put the socks up for sale. At that time, I couldn't do that with Ravelry, so I opened an Etsy shop. And at first, I sold my designs through an Etsy shop. I've closed it now uh, because I sell exclusively through Ravelry now. And my website, all the patterns of my website are hosted by Ravelry. Excellent. Now, I'm just interested in the design process. What does come first? Is it a name that you want to match something to or is it a technique that you just think I've just got to play with this and see what happens? It's all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, anything. All sorts of things send me spinning off into, uh, you know, design thoughts. I, I just, um, I might see a pattern and, and I don't mean just like a, a knitting pattern. I might see a pattern even in some stones or in some, you know, architecture architecture or something like that i will see a pattern and I'll, ooh, <laughs> how could i represent that in, in knitting because i love pattern and i also love color so and it might it is sometimes just that there's a beautiful yarn and there's something about that yarn that 
that appeals to me and I want to express in a design and it's sometimes a theme that I want to express in a design so I could I do actually I don't have any one way of doing it one route it's for design whatever's right for that yes. project yes okay now I have been through quite a lot of phases in my knitting yes. where I've done a lot of socks yes. I'm currently in quite a lot of phase of knitting Afghan blanket squares oh yes do you have a similar run in your design process that you'll just stick with um, a particular style of garment or is it just whatever takes you I think I'm quite eclectic actually I, I, I go off all over the place yeah yeah do I have phases no no I don't think so probably the strongest thing I have it's very difficult for me to steer away from green so <laughs> So you go and look at I'm I'm working on on using other colours <laughs> as well as yes, green. You have a therapy programme in yes, place. Indeed. It's in process. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Um I just it it's been really interesting, um, like I say, to see a couple of knit um vests around. And one I noticed on someone that I met um earlier who actually I know from my own spinning guild, she's adapted totally personally by including some bees and seed yes now what does that does that still make you feel oh look that's my design but yes. she's really made it personal yes yes it's wonderful i was delighted to see it that she's personalized it that way and i love her use of color in it as well because she's replaced some of the blue with green and of course green's my favorite color <laughs> <laughs> so it was wonderful to see it done that way yeah she's just tweaked a bit different pieces of the design to personalise it to herself. I think that's a great thing to do. I'm very glad that I've inspired someone like that, yes. Well, I mean, we've talked before. I have started my best. <laughs> I am still quite a low way down the ribbing. Yes. Um, but I am going to finish it. I may not finish it until something about 2014, but I am determined <laughs> yes. to have a go. Um, whilst I'm sitting there plugging away at that, what else is coming up for you? Have you got anything coming up in print media or are you still exclusively in your Ravelry store? Um, I have booked a stall at iNit Weekender in September and one at Fibre Flurry in October, the very end of October. And my intention is that for the weekend in September, I will by then have printed patterns available. So that's the direction I'm heading in and I'm intending to wholesale those to yarn shops. And I am also working busily on a book. It, it's going to be a collection of my designs, so a lot of the stuff that I've already done will be in it. And there are some things that I haven't yet published that will be in there. It, there's going to be 12 designs in it, and my intention is to have that ready for the end of October to be able to launch it at the Fibre Flurry. Well, thank you very much. Good luck with that. It's been lovely seeing you around because you're always smiling whenever oh, I've seen you this you. week. Uh, and it's absolutely brilliant. Anne, thank you very much. Thank you, Liz. The designer Anne Kingstone there, and I'll put links up to her Ravelry store in the show notes. Before I finish up, I'd just like to give some shout-outs to some of the lovely, lovely people I met during the week. Now, I'm bound to have forgotten a whole list of you, and I'm really sorry if you listen and I haven't remember to include you here. I wasn't as organised as some of the campers, um, particularly the um, Scandinavian and the, the German campers. They were so organised, they had notebooks and they wrote everybody's name down who was in their class and got them to sign them and it was just, oh, 
gosh, I'm so useless. But anyway, I'd like to, to say, now these are a combination of RAV names or real names if I didn't know your RAV names. So um, please, you know, forgive me if I do forget you. Um, but these are just some of the people that made this week so memorable for me. Um, Val, Versa Visa. Uh, Marty, that's Martinet. Uh, Ritzo76. Miss Odiva, the lovely Lisa. Uh, Knit. Um, who has a lovely machine knit version of the UK Knit Camp vest um, on her Ravelry Projects page. So go and see that. Sulky Cat, uh, Shoan, Kato, Kato, sorry, uh, Kota Atok, Niela, Annalie, Becky, and Jenny, um, Kelly, who's Tootsie2121, um, Deborah Gray, um, Liz Greenside Knits, Annika72, Opera Knitter, Renee from Designer Knitting, Verena and Geeseland, and I'm sure there are many, many more. But I just met so many lovely people. I was counting up. Um, I think I met people from living in um, 12 different countries, uh, I think, possibly even more than that. But just some wonderful people. I'm going to finish now, not at the end of the weekend, which was actually on the Saturday, um, because it was another market day pace and the luminary panel, which I'm not going to, to feature in this, because it also includes the back-to-back -back challenge, and I'd like to include save that for another show, um, but I'm just going to finish with the tale of Cinderella at the Cayley. Now, you have to understand here what a Cayley is first, and I think not enough people understood what it was. So the take-up for the tickets to, to the Cayley or, or attendance at the Cayley wasn't um, as high as it could be, perhaps, and perhaps as high as it it should have been for the amount of fun that we had. But if you're not familiar at all um, with what a Cayley is, um, then let, let me tell you. My background is obviously I'm from um, Oxfordshire and uh, I grew up at school and, and went to a school that had a maypole and did a lot of country dancing. Um, so that's you know traditional dances to traditional folk music. Um, so I grew up there, always wanted to dance the maypole, never did, gutted, permanently scarred for life but never mind, we'll move on. Um, Grew up with a love, as I've mentioned before, of folk music um, and uh, of dancing. Um, in fact, so much so that I had a country dance band at my wedding reception, uh, which got everybody dancing, the whole generations, far more than if I'd just had a disco. Um, and it, it was just really good fun. I then went and lived in Cumbria uh, for a while and began to go to Cayleys, which are, are similar, but obviously have their roots in um, Scottish and Irish Gaelic social gatherings. Um, and certainly there are parts of, of Scotland now where the Cayley on a Friday or a Saturday night is the social entertainment. And again, it tends to be very multi-generational. So lots of traditional music um, and lots of traditional dancing. Now, a friend of mine got married in Glasgow um, a few years after I did, and they had a Cayley as well. And I thought it would be like the Irish Cayleys that I had been to um, and was slightly surprised when it actually turned out to be one lady with an accordion um, and she did play some reels and dances that I was familiar with like Strip the Willow but also some of the, the, the social dances that I associated more with my time in Rotaract which is um, a youth 
division of the Rotary Organization or Rotary International um, used to go to Rotary dances and they would dance things like um, the military two-step, the foxtrot, um, things that I can't dance at all but would also have dances that I could do like the St Bernard's Waltz and the Gay Gordons and Dashing White Sergeants and at my friend's wedding this lady on the accordion played those as well and chatting to people at the time they said those were very much part of the repertoire of a Scottish Cayley as well as having traditional um, dances that I would recognise as Cayley dances they would have these dances the St Bernard's Waltz, the Gay Gordons, Dashing White Sergeants so lots of sort of social dancing. So I went, you know, having signed up for the Cayley, that was pretty much what I had in mind. I was hoping it would be more than one lady with an accordion and I was not disappointed. Um, it was a four-piece band with uh, an expert caller with a cracking sense of humour. And um, the, the Cayley was a brilliant lot of fun. And as I had correctly predicted, it did have... Um, very much a feel of um, that so Scottish social side of dancing with a real mix of dancers. Now, I decided that I was going to dress up for this, not dress up as in fancy dress, but hey, for the amount of times I wear a dress, it could be. But I wore a um, blue and green dress that I'd worn to my friend's wedding, um, the one that didn't go with the clapper tea, but I'd take it anyway, and I wore it with my Marks and Spencer's pistachio green pashmina, very nice but you know, can't knit anything that colour, I haven't found anything that colour. Now I don't really do girly, so the fact that this is the second time in a week I've worn a dress is a bit of uh, a revelation. Um, it's one even more so because I didn't wear it over a pair of trousers and actually had my legs out, which is a bit of a novelty. Now I have found that I'm not really a great one anymore for squeezing my feet into high heels. I also know from experience that they're pretty useless for dancing and Kaylee dances in and you really could do with something that's firmly strapped on your feet like a pair of trainers. Um, but I didn't have anything that fitted the bill for that. So I, but I had my little flat silver leather um, flip-flops that looked really nice. So I popped them on but then looked at my watch and realised there was no way I was going to make it across in the time available in these because they're slightly loose. They're not like my fit-flops. I love my fit flops, which I can walk quite at speeding quite well. These these aren't. So I slipped them off again, put me chunky old fit flops on, tucked my silver sandals under my arm, casually threw my pashmina over the shoulder so it trailed either side, covered up the fact that I was holding gripping a pair of silver fit flops under me, out my armpit, and scuttled off um, to the Cayley. Got a number of compliments on the way that I looked really nice. So you know you're beginning to think, well that means probably that no one else who's going there is and they're all in jeans and I'm going to look like a right Egypt. Um, thankfully I wasn't. Um, people had, you know, put you know sparky tops on. Um, but a lot of them were still in what they'd worn um, during the day. Um, but, you know, not a problem. I was feeling a bit girled up and everything else. Arrived, spotted some people across the way to go and sit with scuttled over to go, pulled up a chair to join them, sat down, popped my silver sandals on the floor to put them up to realise I only had one. I was indeed Cinderella at the ball with a pair of serviceable but not at all feminine fit flops on and one feminine silver sandal. <sighs> Curses. You know, I I try so hard. I really don't do girly. I make an effort to do it and then manage to sabotage it myself by losing my shoe. Fabulous. So that was me.
barefoot dancing at the Cayley with one and a half pairs of sandals tucked under my chair. You know, it could only happen to me, couldn't it? You know, everyone else manages to come in, look nice, look elegant. Nah, not me. I also felt at a bit of a disadvantage because I had my little clutch bag with me. We shouldn't even have room for a sock in it. And I looked around and I thought I must be the only woman in this place at the moment who's not actually knitting. Um, so it did feel a bit odd. Um, not that I was the only one that wasn't knitting. I actually just felt a bit odd watching people at Akali with their knitting. Because, you know, when you're thinking, no, no, you're not going to have time to knit, love. You're really not going to have time to knit. Anyway, um, I had a whale of a time. I danced. I'm, I'm far too out of condition to dance all of the dances. And, of course, I did dance pretty much all of the dances. I think there was only two that I sat out in the entire um, time that we danced, which was probably a good two and a half hours. Uh, if not more, um, had a whale of a time. There was a mixture of um, traditional folk dances, sort of Engli in the English style, so it was Circassian Circle, uh, in the Scottish style with um, Strip the Willow, which I can't remember if it's a Shetland or an Orca or Orkney dance, but uh, one of those, and some of the more social dances. So this is just a surreal moment of of the night, um, but you know I've. I've Gotta love her for it. The second dance of the evening was the St Bernard's Waltz. Now I'm probably one of the few people of English people of my generation who know what the St Bernard's Waltz is. They did teach it to Scottish children of my of my generation. Um, so most Scots people I know know it. Um, but I'm one of the few English people I know who know the St Bernard's Waltz. Um, he called the St Bernard's Waltz and um, Oliver from Jamieson and Smith, um, the Shet Shetland wool brokers, uh, he stood up to dance it with his wife and Debbie Stoller stood up to ask if there was anyone to dance and no one else did so I did. So I taught her the St Bernard's Waltz. In 2006 Debbie Stoller taught me that there was more than one way to cast on and I repaid the compliment by teaching her the St Bernard's Waltz. And I almost taught it her correctly as well. Um, it was just such a laugh. I had such a brilliant, brilliant time on Friday. Um, I'd forgotten how good it was to dance that much because it's years since I've done it. And I just had such a brilliant time. There was just two little downsides. One was that after the second or third dance, a lot of people escaped. I don't know whether they were just really tired or whether they were intimidated um, or whether they just thought it wasn't for them. But there weren't that many people dancing all the way through. Possibly by the end of the evening, there was maybe only 20 of us left, which, you know, you need more than that for a good Kaylee, really, because we were struggling to make two sets for some of the dancers. Um, and the other downside was that there were only, probably, I think, at most any time, three men dancing. And actually, most of the time, it was just two. Um, Cara Trike. Oh, I forgot to say hello to Cara Trike. Hello, Cara Trike. Hello. Um, Caratrike's husband, um, the lovely Steve, I think his name is, and um, Oliver from uh, Jameson Smith. So, you know, there was a little confusion, you know, in Strip the Willow. And the idea of Strip the Willow is that you dance with your partner and then the lady dances with each of the men down the side of the set. And then the man dances with each of the lady on the way back up to the top. Now, that's fine if when you're looking across the way, you can actually clearly see who the men are. Uh, when your set is made up entirely of women and you're not too sure of the dance, it's very easy to end up going up the wrong side and dancing with the wrong person. Um, which, of course, 
for me, I think Kaylee dancing is an awful lot like knitting. You go in, you have a go, you make all the mistakes absolutely possible, but you come out at the end smiling, and then you do it again and know better the second time. Um, unfortunately, I suspect this idea of, of worrying about making a fool of yourself is possibly what made some people scamper away. But I would like to finish um, today's show with just a little nod to the Kaylee and the fact that there were so many of us there pretending to be men as we danced. Thanks for listening. You'll find everything I've mentioned in the show notes, and I will leave you with this. My neighbour, Mrs Fanshawe, is portly, plump and gay. She must be over 67 if she is a day. You might have thought her life was dull, it's one long whirl instead. I asked her all about it, and this is what she said. I've joined an old-time dance club, the trouble is that there are too many ladies over and no gentlemen to spare. It seems a shame... It's not the same, but still it has to be. Some ladies have to dance together. One of them is me. So stately as a galleon, I sail across the floor. Doing the military two-step as in the days of yore. I dance with Mrs. Tiverton, she's light on her feet in spite of turning the scale at 14 stone and being of medium height. So gay the band, so giddy the sight, full evening dresses are must. But the zest goes out of a beautiful waltz when you dance it bust to bust. We sail across the floor Doing the valse for later As in the days of yore The gent is Mrs. Tiverton And I am her lady fair She bows to me ever so nicely And I curtsy to her with care So gay the band, so giddy the sight But it's not the same in the end For a lady is never a gentleman though she may be your bosom friend So stately as two galleons We sail across the floor Doing the dear old lancers As in the days of yore I'm led by Mrs. Tiverton She whirls me round and round And though she manoeuvres me wonderfully well I never get off so gay the band, so giddy the sight I try not to get depressed And it's done me a power of good to explode